This story begins with two armies, two nations. More than 1,200 years before Christ, just waves of new settlers began emerging, uh, entering into the lower coastal regions of the Promised Land. These newcomers were uh, formidable. They were noticeable on a number of different levels and good fighters. And because of them, the route of the Hebrew exodus could not just hug the Mediterranean, but instead detour deep into the desert. They were so intimidating that meeting up with them and then having to fight these people might just make the Israelites change their mind and return to Egypt. At least that's the way God said it in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. We know them as the Philistines. They are described as a, uh, arriving from the sea, uh, maybe, maybe coming from modern-day Crete, maybe even from southern Greece. The Philistines are likely the very first Europeans appearing in the Old Testament. And we know of them because they are forever remembered as being the principal enemy of the people of Israel. They are the villains. By the time of King Saul, Israel's first king, the Philistines had made significant gains into Israelite territory. In battle after battle, they had defeated Israel, even at one point confiscating the Ark of the Covenant and housing it in the temple of their god, Dagon. Finally, sometime around 1000 BC, after centuries of gaining ground and, and advancing territory, uh, they, were, they were coming towards Israel. And the Philistines marched into the hills ab above the valley of Elah. So that's where we are geographically. This is Israel's doorstep and the natural entry point into, uh, from the Philistine homeland into the hill country of Israel. And they gazed from the mountain through that valley, planning their next move of how they could take more land. So this battle that we're looking at is crucial. Translation, lose the valley, lose everything. <clears throat> For 39 days, the Philistine and the Israelite armies uh, stare at each other across this valley, each clinging to their high ground. Battle everyone knew was imminent, but neither side dared charge ahead. All militaries knew that attacking from below is a death wish. The scene is set. But there was something that was different about the battle this day. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out from the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. But if you're more comfortable thinking of it, that in cubits, because I know a lot of us do cubits, he was six cubits and a span. Those are the measurements. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 125 pounds, or for you, 5,000 shekels. Six, on his legs, he, had, uh, he wore bronze greaves and had a bronze javelin slung on his back. Seven, his spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 pounds shekels. That's uh, about 15 pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of him. So here is Goliath, who comes out of the Philistine camp. And he, he walks from that camp out onto the battlefield. Huge man, strong. 
and his reputation precedes him. A warrior among warriors. And he sort of walks up and down, staring down the armies of Israel, checking out the competition. And then he begins to taunt Israel. Verse 10, Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. So that word defy literally means to pour out obscenities like an obscene gesture. And then he says, give me a man. Someone stand up. Is there a man among you? Give me a man and let us fight each other. And in this time, this is not a a weird thing or a rare thing. It's not uncommon to see a champion from one nation that would come out to challenge uh, another champion to fight for their nations, on behalf of their nations, representing their nation. And Israel had a champion too. Their, Their champion was supposed to be their king, Saul. Saul was chosen, and and for all the rare, rare physical descriptions, the Bible doesn't tell us physical descriptions of almost anyone, but throughout Scripture, we'll see a couple of times, Saul is mentioned as being a head taller than anyone around him. Saul's a big boy, and he was the champion of Israel. He was supposed to lead his men, lead as in go first into battle. So this is not looking good for Israel. And it must have been making the other soldiers nervous. We know how this works. King leads, we follow. So what happens when your champion, when your king, won't step up to fight for your country? They're nervous. And there's Goliath. But no one stood up to him because it's Goliath, right? Verse 11. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, the king, he's mentioned specifically, Saul, and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And this word dismayed literally means to be broken. So they were broken and terrified. You got to understand, King Saul was known throughout his country as a valiant warrior. And the people that he had with them were the best of the best. They had already beaten the Philistines in many other battles. This they proved different. Because out of that group walked Goliath. And Goliath's not always on the job, but he's on the job today. The Goliath, the the one that everyone knew, the warrior among warriors, and all of these great warriors saw Goliath, and even with their skills, they're broken because in their mind they knew there's not even a chance that they could beat this guy. This was Goliath. So here they are, not afraid of death, They're out for battle, right? Instead, it's just going through their minds thinking again and again, what happens when we go out there and get demolished by Goliath? Honor is a huge thing in this culture. The the nation of Israel is going to be a joke. We're going to be humiliated. We don't have a chance. We're broken and terrified. We, we, We face similar situations, not with giants, but what's your Goliath? I mean, the truth is in our lives, you will face, if you have not, you will face a Goliath, your own Goliath. Think about it. What, what would that be for you? What's the thing that makes you broken and terrified? I, I, I'm talking about that thing that you, you don't want to bring up. You don't want to bring it up in front of other people. You don't have to. This is just between you and God. You know why you don't want to bring it up? Because you feel like you can't defeat it. That thing has been in your life that, that maybe you have fought it before uh, and you've lost over and over again. Uh, it, it, it might be an, an addiction, that, that, that one thing 
That when I say it, you know what I'm talking about. That thing that every time you try, you, you can't beat that thing. That thing is your thing. You've just given up. You see no hope. You're broken. And you're terrified. You just don't want other people to know about it. And it could be an, an addiction to pornography. Uh, maybe you're addicted to anger or fear or materialism or, or drugs. Or maybe you just criticize. You've got a built-in negativity the thing that you've just decided that you're going to have to live with. It's just who I am. Maybe it's the job that you're in right now. It could be the problems that you're facing, adverse circumstances. They've just become so big that they have become the giant. They block your view, and you see no hope because all you see is the giant, and you don't see really any way out. Maybe you're some of those people who are actually having trouble identifying your giant because the truth is, it's just been such a normal part of your life for so long. It's just normal. The, the thing that you're facing is just, it's, it's just because it's part of who you are. And in this battle, the Israelites, for 40 days, 40 days the Israelites came to their mountain, drew up the battle line, and, and they began to shout out their battle cries. They know how to do war. They're doing this. Rah! They begin to hit the weapons together. Hoo, 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 hoo. And they hoop and they holler and they, and they bang and they crash. And they're acting and they're sounding like they're ready for battle. We're good to go. And then the Philistines, they, they respond and they do the same thing. And then for 40 days, they do that. And then Goliath steps out and looks at each one of them and says, come on. And he pours out obscenities and abuse, and he's trying to provoke some sort of a response, some sort of a, come on out, anybody. Is there anybody who will take up the challenge? Forty days, the best of the best in the Israelite army sat paralyzed in fear. Forty days they came, and they sounded like they were ready for battle. They got dressed like they were ready for battle. They looked like they were ready for battle. They told each other we're ready for battle. And the truth is, they didn't intend to fight. And I know that right now that rings true for many of us in our lives. We sound like we're ready for battle. If anybody asks us, we'll say we're ready. We know what needs to be done. But this giant that's standing in front of you is so big, he blocks your vision. We've been broken and we're afraid because of what we anticipate. You might sound like you're ready. You have the right words. But inside you feel broken, terrified. I don't, I don't think I can do this. You have no intention of actually fighting. You're trying to accommodate now. And today, let's say no more. Let's go. Let's attack our Goliaths. Let's identify what they are and, and, and not say today is just going to be the same thing. This is the point where David enters the story. David has seven brothers, okay? Three of his brothers are in the Israelite army on the lines, and there's David. He's the baby. He stays at home, and he watches the sheep for his father. His dad's name is Jesse. So, so on this day, Jesse called David and said, hey, I got a care package. Everybody likes to get mail. I want to send a care package. Send it to the boys. I want you to go. I want you to take it to them, and, and I want you to Find out what's going on. I want a status update, right? How are they doing? Maybe some photos of what it looks like. Give me some word back on what's happening. I'm sitting at home. I got no idea. So David, you know, doing what dad asked him, maybe excited to change the scenery a little bit. He takes this care package to his brothers. Now, if you read it quickly along there, you go, we just zip right over it, okay? It's hard for us to get our heads around because it's described again, in ancient language, so ancient measurements like ephahs. But if we could just ask Siri 
to convert these measurements and help us to add them up. We find out that he's taking grain, uh, 10 loaves of bread, and 10 cheeses. Okay, so you're looking at, when you put those things together, about 45 pounds worth of care in that package. That's like 21 kilograms. Now, do you remember where David lived? Jesus was born in the town of David, and that town is called Bethlehem. Right. Bethlehem is about 15 miles, about 24 kilometers from the battle line. Have you ever tried carrying 45 pounds on a 15-mile hike? Or 21 kilograms on a 24-kilometer hike? In training exercises for the Marines, they train by carrying 45-pound packs, inspired by David, no doubt. They strap them on, and they go out on a five-mile run, maybe eight. They do hard training to get to 45-pound packs on a 15-mile hike. David is no child, right? He's more like a trained Marine. And when he arrives, the two armies line up. It's the daily routine. Here we are again. And here is where we can pick up some of those battle strategies, transferable principles that we can use when we face, when we attack our giant. He's going to give us, he's going to exemplify, he's going to show us what to do, battle strategies as we face Goliath. So it happens right away. Verse 23, as David was talking to his brothers, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out again from the lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Now, it goes on to say that the Israelite army, when they saw Goliath, they all ran off again. They ran in fear. But what it says about David, he heard it. Of course he heard it. It was, it was just in the air, right? But the first thing that we need to do, you need to do, you're going to face Goliath. You need to hear the lies. That's right. You, you heard me right. Let me explain. You need to hear the lies that are being said so that you can remember and you can recognize that that's exactly what they are. They are accusations, but they come in the form of lies. They are lies, the lies that your giant tells you, the lies that you are used to hearing, the lies that are familiar to you. And the way that we can recognize the lies and identify them as lies is for us to know the truth. When you know the truth, you can recognize the lies. So look, look at what David's response is when he heard what Goliath was saying. Verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, hey, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? And David's mad. Did you, did you all just hear what he just said? He's not just pouring out abuse on the army of Israel. These lies are against the living God. David recognizes that, takes it in, right? Recognize that he's deeply offended by what's happening, but not offended for himself. Here's the question. What lies are you believing, are you used to? What lies are you ignoring because they're common to you? 
It might sound like this. You, 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 you'll never have a healthy relationship, right? Because you're broken. You're messed up. It's impossible. You never will. You never have, and you never will. That's a lie. The truth is that relationships, friendship relationships, dating relationships, marriage relationships, they're God's idea in the first place. He established them. So you hear the lie. You identify that it's a lie, but you just can't break this addiction, right? I know it's lying to me, but I can't break it. The addiction that you're facing, is, it's just part of your life. I've got to find a way to manage it. I've got to figure it out, how it's just going to fit into my regular schedule. It's a lie. The truth is you can do anything through Christ's strength. Don't let that pass by. Don't just let it sink in for a second. Not you alone, but you can do anything through Christ's strength. That's truth. That's how you answer a lie. You hear the lie that belief in God is great and rosy and it seems to work for other people, but for you, you're on your own. That's a lie. The truth is that God says that he will never leave you and that he will never forsake you. Hear the lies. Identify them as lies. Be offended. Know the truth. Here's the lies. Hear those lies that come to you and they say, you're, you're worthless. Oh, you, you're pathetic. In comparison to so-and-so, you're a failure. You're a pervert. Lie, 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 lie. Those are lies. Hear the lies. Because the truth is that Jesus came and he died for you, and he died for me, so that we would have life, and real life, abundant life, not just getting by life, abundant life. It's promised. The truth is that when God looks down on us as followers of Christ, he doesn't see our mediocre righteousness. He doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see those things that you despise in yourself. He sees the righteousness of Christ. The truth is that you are a child of God, a child of the living, eternal, all-powerful God, and all the rights and all the privileges of a child of God are yours. Truth. Hear the lies and recognize that they are lies because you know the truth. Look at David. The buzz starts happening around the camp. Everybody sees that David's upset. They're going, quiet down. You're going to get us all in trouble. And somehow this gets to King Saul. Saul calls David. Verse 32. David said to Saul, Hey, king, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go fight him. And he doesn't mean like your servant, that guy. He means me. I'm your servant. He was moved to action. But, but be ready. Because when you do and when you go out and you decide that you're going to face your giant, it leads to the secondary battle strategy that we get from David. We need to remember, and that is, don't listen to the naysayers. Right after David tells Saul this, right after, look at what the king says. The king, the valiant warrior, the champion of his nation, looks at David and he says, verse 33, you are not able to go outside against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a fighting man from his youth. Ain't no way, buddy. Some of you right now, listening, watching, you can hear what people say. All of that negative talk starts. It, 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 you, you can't do this. You, you won't survive. You won't be successful. And once you decide to do it, it begins to kind of eat away at you, eat away at your confidence in Christ. So this is what David did, and this is what you need to do. 
You don't listen to the naysayers. Instead, you remember your God stories. Know your own history for pity's sake. You remember when God did something in your life, something before. Bring it back out. Preach to yourself your stories. You were there. You were there for the whole thing. This stuff happened to you. God was faithful to you. Don't forget your stories and don't let them fade away and don't diminish them and say, that's not a big deal. That one doesn't matter. David, right after Saul tells him, David begins to tell him immediately some of the incredible stories that happened while he's watching his sheep. And he, he tells, okay, there was this lion and then another time there was a bear. They came and they tried to take the sheep, but through the Lord's strength, he, with his own bare hands, killed both the lion and the bear. And, and, and this is how David ends the story. Verse 37, David says uh, this. He's talking to Saul. The Lord, who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. No different. My God is no different. You see, God did it before. I remember him doing it before. I, I'm going to tell you, he did it before. I was there. He'll do the same thing right now. That's who my God is. He will do it again. And when people say that God won't or that God, he can't, I, I, I'm not going to, it's not going to happen. When you're discouraged by that, you need to remember what God has already done. And then we go on to the next part of the story. Now, we got David, Goliath, and they're facing off. So picture it, a little bit of imagination here. They're, they're in the valley. They've come down from the heights, and David approaches, and it's like, pat, pat, pat. And then Goliath approaches, like, thump, thump, thump. Goliath, head to toe armor, he is geared up, nine feet tall, has every weapon hanging from his body. He's a warrior among warriors. He has caused fear among the greatest in Israel for 40 days. He walks out onto the battlefield, and David gets that face-to-face -face encounter, their eyeball to eyeball. But more than that, look what happens. Verse 42, he, talking about Goliath, he looked David over. He saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. 43, he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Totally disregarded him. 44, Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. I've done it before, and I'll do it again. That's what I do. That's how I roll. Goliath is like looking back to his guys. He goes, this is a joke, right? Let me tell you something. The giant wasn't impressed by David. David goes, he's on the battlefield now, and the giant is imposing. He's blocking the view, right? Nine feet right up in front of you. And he talks down to him. Goliath's not impressed by David. That's where we sit, and that's where we learn the next strategy from David. When we face our giant, when he's right in front of you, and it's this. Don't focus on the giant. Focus on God. Understand the weight and the importance of this point. Because we do the same thing all the time. Don't focus on the giant. Focus on God. Don't focus on that thing that you can't stop. Focus on the God who can where do you let your eyes rest? You have a role to play in this. What do you choose to focus on? Where do you let your mind linger? David's got no armor. And on his way out to the battle line, he stops, he scoops, he picks up five smooth stones. And he's going to use his sling. In our head we go, sling, that's a nothing, right? 
but an ancient sling. Not like some uh, backyard toy that you could barely bring down a, a, a bird with. A sling, ancient sling, was a, a devastating weapon, more accurate than a bow, easier to make, and it was a favorite tool of shepherds and warriors. It's technology. Slings were made from a long woven cord threaded through a pouch, and the cord was doubled over on itself. You, you take a, a, a rock, like a baseball-sized stone, put it in the pouch, and the user whips the doubled cord around at many revolutions per second, and then you release one end in, 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 of the cord, and in turn the, the projectile is released. It goes out, and in the hands of an expert, a heavy sling bullet or stone could reach speeds of up to 100 miles an hour. Have you ever seen a Major League Baseball player trying to get out of the way of a pitch? They often can't, right? Now imagine a pitch coming at you that could cleave your skull. Slings and arrows. Slings are not toys. Ancient slingers were incredibly accurate. In the book of Judges, uh, they were said to be able to sling a stone at a hair and not miss, and that's H-A-I-R, not H-A-R-E. That's it. We go a sling. It's not enough, right? You got no other gear. From our vantage point, he's under-equipped. David looks underprepared. It's so easy for us to list the reasons that we can't. We list all the things that can go wrong and the reasons we can't win. And because it never happened before, and because I'm not as good at it, and because I it's all about us compared to the giant. That's the way we think. And I, I mean, the majority of relationships, they end anyways, right? Everyone gets divorced. We, we all fail. And if I'm a betting man and I'm watching this scene play out from in front of me on this valley and I see David and Goliath, you know, where am I putting my money? It's that same attitude that we have within our own lives. That because our focus is misplaced, we compare the giant to ourselves. And honestly, you're right. It's a giant. It blocks everything that I see. Man, there is no way without God we could defeat that. Instead, we've got to get into the mindset right at the beginning that we need to compare our giant to our God. And that's what David did. David understood what mattered. It was all about God. And he wanted his giant to understand the same thing. Verse 45, David said to that Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, and you got somebody coming out carrying your shield for you. I see it. I see it all in front of me. I see what you've got. I see your weapons. I see that you've got weapons for all the different ranges, all the different distances of fighting. And I know what you look like. I know your reputation. But I want to tell you something. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. That's a fighting name. That's a warfare name. That's a strong name, and David's not done. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. It didn't say you defied me. You defied our God. So 46, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down, and I'll cut off your head this very day. I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, just like you said you were going to do with me. And what's the whole point? What's David focused on when he's saying this? That he's looking for glory? He's looking for a high five? Not only for the battle, but for the victory. What's the point? And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. We need to stop comparing the giant to ourselves because we are not coming against 
the giant within our own strength. We need to focus on our God. We need to point to Him. We need to go eyes up on Jesus. 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. 49, reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it, struck the Philistine in the forehead, the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. Today, today we start, we think, we're going to have to grab whatever we have in our hands, whatever we found, whatever it is, no matter how small or insignificant it seems, we're going to take that and we're going to go and face our giant because it's not what we're carrying that wins. It's our God. And with God's strength, the giant is going down. And you know why? Again, you know what the focus of everything here is? It's not just about you, that the whole world may know. That the whole world may know that there is a God that reigns in your life. There's a God that is available to meet us. There is a God that overcomes whatever is in front of him. We put our focus on our God instead of our enemy. So God, we ask today that you would be our strength. That you would give us courage that you would give us courage because of who you are, that you would be our strength, that you would be, uh, give us understanding to know that this battle is yours. You have fought for us before. I remember the stories. I bring them back up. I tell myself the stories. We believe that you have. We believe that you can. And we believe that you will fight for us once again. God, we put our focus, our trust, and our hope in you. There are plenty of things that are blocking that vision. There are plenty of things that are interfering with me seeing you clearly, but I choose to look around them and I choose to focus on you that you may be glorified, that you may be lifted up, that you might bring hope, that you might bring healing to somebody through the circumstances even that I'm in. God, help me. But it's not just about me. I'm not facing this Goliath on my own. I walk with you. I hear the lies. I know the truth. I remember what you have done. I remember how you've been faithful. I choose to bring it back up. I choose to tell this story. Not the stories about how my giant is big and strong, but how my God has been faithful in my past. And I put my full weight on you, asking that you would guide me into this next stage, this next step that I need to face, staring down my Goliath with you by my side. You have fought for me in the past. I believe that you will fight for me again in the present and in the future. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.